What's up, everybody? How's the nine o'clock service doing? Hey, did you think it was funny that the first song was Come Alive, Wake Up, O Sleeper? I thought that was like, that was intentional right there. So we are glad that you're here. But for everybody that didn't make it, you're just rolling over in bed right now, just turning it on, watching it online. We're so glad that you're joining us online. Would everyone put your hands together for all those that are watching online right now? So glad you could join us. Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna preach a message, okay? We're gonna we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do this together, okay? So if you wanna amen, if you wanna you know shout, if you wanna throw a hanky around, I don't mind at all, okay? I know we're a little extra tired, but we're gonna do this, and it's gonna be awesome. So. The title of today's message is, I'm going to bless you back. I'm going to bless you back, all right? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, bless you. Bless them. Just bless them. So we're in this, uh, in the book of Matthew. We've been just walking through this. And and if you know the story of Matthew, he is a, a guy that was a tax collector. He was a guy that Jesus radically saved his life and uh, saved his soul and changed him. And part of his life work was to give an account of Jesus' story. And we have that today in the first book in the New Testament called Matthew. We've been walking through the book of Matthew, and we're right now in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus delivered this sermon on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, on a mount, on a mountain. And uh, as he began to do that, he was talking about the new covenant, the new way, the kingdom of God. He began to communicate to the, the Jewish people like, hey, this is what God is now doing. In fact, this is a fulfillment of what he talked about all in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets. And last week, we looked at uh, matters of the heart. We talked about lust. We talked about lying. We talked about hate. And unfortunately, today, it doesn't get a whole lot better because we're talking about revenge and what to do with your enemies, okay? So, so kind of exciting stuff right here. So here's a quote that I, I came across, and uh, this was from a, a guy who has lived in the 15th century, who's a Puritan, and this is my paraphrase of it. Maybe you've heard uh, some form of this quote before, but it says this, to render good for good is human, to render evil for good is devilish, but to render good for evil is divine. And so that kind of sets the stage of what we're going to talk about today, about doing good for people that do evil to us, exactly what Jesus was talking about. So let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted to get back at somebody? By a show of hands, let me see your hand. You've ever wanted to get back at somebody. Now leave your hand up if the person next to you is the, the person you wanted to get back at. Maybe. Maybe somebody you wanted to get back at. Um, you know, I, I think this happens, happens a lot. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you, you give them some sign language back, you know, a little payback there. Maybe, maybe for you, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm sure you have, but you're driving and somebody's got their brights on. You know what I do? I just turn my brights back on. I'm like, hey, two can play at this. Let's make this biblical. Blind lead the blind right now. I'm just gonna shine it right back at you, buddy. I don't know if you guys do that or not. This kind of drives me crazy with, with driving. But, okay, this is, I, I know we do a lot of public service announcements here, but we have an audience, we might as well. Uh, so, you know, like whenever you come to a green light, you go, even if you're turning right, technically, and if you're going the other way, how do I explain this? Okay, so, so I'm a car, 
Okay, just imagine I'm a, I'm a one good looking car, okay? So I got a green light and I wanna turn right. So I technically have the right of way, correct? But let's say there's another person over here, okay? And they wanna turn left and they have a green yield light, okay? You ever been in that situation to where the person turning right, they're like, oh, I, I don't know if I should go, I'm gonna stop. And then this person right here, are, are all of you these people? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about? So you can't turn, like you're, you're waiting and you ever do the stutter stop? You're just like, oh no, okay, you go. No, 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 you go. No, okay, no, we'll both go. And then you, you, know, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's terrible, okay, I, it, it's bad. That drives me personally crazy. Maybe, here's not, I'm just trying to come up with some scenarios here. Okay, we're done with the driving stuff. So um, let's say it's Thanksgiving, all right? And your mother-in-law is there helping you prepare dinner. And she's made a few comments, let's say, just about some things, about how you're raising your children, about how you keep house, about how you're cooking Thanksgiving dinner. And you're just, you're just chopping up some stuff. And she makes another comment. You look down at that knife. <laughs> and you look at her. Then you, you say, no, I can't do it. You think of prison, okay? You, can't, you, you go to prison for a really long time. <laughs> okay, how many married people in here? How many married people? Now, I know you've never wanted to get back at your spouse. No, you've, you've, never, you've never wanted to do that. You know, what's the, the saying? Uh, opposites attract and then they attack, right? <laughs> that's what, that's what that kind of describes a lot of times marriage. But here, here's the reality. You know, it, it could be coworkers, it could be neighbors. Oftentimes, people do things to us that hurt us. And then our response is we want to get back at them. We want to do something in retaliation. And, and the people in Jesus' day were no different. And whether it was something small, okay, insignificant, okay, they were driving their chariot and they didn't realize they had the right of way to turn right at a light, you know, and they were getting mad, or it was something much bigger that we'll see and we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. But what Jesus had to do as he talked about how to deal with revenge and deal with your enemies, he had to undo some teaching that was taught by the Pharisees and the scribes of the day because these would be the people that were teaching the rest of the people what the Old Testament meant. And, what, what, and so Jesus comes on the scene and he's gotta undo a lot of these wrong and false teachings. So Jesus is having to clear it up. But in the process of having to clear up all this stuff to these people, he wants to make it very, very clear that he didn't come to undo the Old Testament. He didn't come to undo or do away with the Old Testament. In fact, this is why he says, we talked about this last week, but in Matthew chapter five, verse 17 says this, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Okay, that's basically the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So, so Jesus didn't come to undo the law. He, he came to fulfill the law. It would be like, like this, you know, um, spring is coming, hallelujah, okay? And anybody excited for spring? Yes, finally here, or getting here. So, uh, but one of the things with spring, I, I guess one of the things I like about winter, like there's pretty much just one thing, is that I don't have to mow the lawn, okay? That is the, the one nice thing about when it just turns brown, it doesn't grow, and it's glorious, I don't have to mow it. 
But in spring, you know, it rains a lot. It feels like, man, you've got, you can almost hear it growing. And you just got to mow it a lot. And I just have a push mower. Now, it's, thankfully, it's one of those self-propelled. I have a little bit of a hill, so now I can, you know, uh, it makes it a little bit easier. But I, I, don't, I don't like mowing. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that someone comes along and says, I'm going to do this for free. I'm going to give you the best turf. Just imagine that turf, you know, the best kind of turf you can buy that would be, you know, would look just like grass and say, I'm going to replace it for you. I'm going to do all, all that for you. And, and that person puts it in for you, and now you never have to mow again. Now think about it, that person didn't abolish, you know, having the grass a certain height, you know, the task of, of making sure it stays, you know, within a reasonable height. Now what they did was they did something to fulfill that, and now you never have to, you have no obligation to mow again. Like that, that, that task is now taken care of, you, you have no obligation to it. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to fulfill the law, and so now we don't have any obligation to it. But there's a little bit more to it than that because there's still a law in place. Now think about it, you get that nice new turf that, that somebody installed for you. What you don't wanna do is take your big monster truck you know, and go around the lawn and tear it up or you don't wanna set your, your new turf on fire because there's this other law at work, this law of love. You know, like, hey, I'm thankful that, that this was done for me, that somebody gave me this so now I no longer have to fulfill that. So now what governs my decisions is the law of love. And in fact, that's what Jesus puts in place in John chapter 13, verse 34. Even though he says, hey, I fulfilled the law, now you have no more obligation to it. You don't have to obey these little itty-bitty laws. And then the bigger laws that we, we talk about, there's really one governing all of it. And it's the law of love. This is what he says in John chapter 13, verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And so now this becomes the governing law in the background. But really, this is something that was in place all along. In fact, Jesus points to this. This law of love has been there the whole time. That the law and the prophets, undergirding all of that, under all of these little laws that we, we look at, undergirding all of that, it should be the law of love. And this is what Jesus points to in Matthew chapter 22. It says this, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this, verse 40. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So right here, you have Jesus saying, listen, all along, it was about this law of love, loving God and loving others. That was undergirding all of these laws. And so now you're, we're going through, I'm having to undo all of this teaching that the Pharisees and scribes have taught you. And underneath all of this is a, a love for God and a love for people. And you're gonna see this as we, we go down through these passages here, as we finish up chapter five, we're, we're gonna see that this is what is undergirding all of these, what Jesus is talking about, is to love God and love people. Okay, so here it is. We're gonna, we're gonna pick it up right where we left it off last week. Matthew chapter five, verse 38 says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone sues you and takes your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay, so here Jesus is quoting a passage from the Old Testament. 
and it's the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth passage, and it's found in Exodus 21, 24. And what's interesting is that the Pharisees, again, had taken this out of context because what this was supposed to do was supposed to be a limitation on judges in that day as they were judging cases. So it's supposed to be a, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was, in other words, it would, it would be a limitation to where if somebody knocked out someone else's tooth, they couldn't bring them to court and be like, okay, they knocked out your tooth, you can take their head off, okay? It was a, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, not a tooth for a head, okay? So it was meant to be a limitation on judges so they couldn't go further. But what the scribes and Pharisees did was they started teaching the people like this was how you're supposed to interact in everyday life. And rather than letting love govern our relationships and our interactions. They said, you should, you should use this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So now that began to govern it to the point to where they, they started saying that this was an obligation. In other words, if someone did something you know, that I didn't like to me, I'd be like, well, I'm sorry, the, the law says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I must pay you back. <laughs> I must do this to you. Rather than saying, hey, I wanna be gracious, I wanna be kind, I wanna be loving, rather than let that govern the relationship, they started letting an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, govern the relationship. And so Jesus has to undo all of this. And so we're gonna look at three different aspects in this, in this first opening passage here that Jesus breaks, breaks it up and he addresses revenge with three different applications, okay? So the first one is, if you're taking notes, Jesus teaches his followers to only let insults go skin deep. Jesus teaches his followers to let insults only go skin deep. Again, this is what it says in verse 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. There was a guy by the name of uh, Richard Weaver who lived in the 1800s, and uh, he got saved in uh, 1853 and gave his life to Jesus. He was a part of the revivals that happened in 1859 in England, and uh, he was a street preacher. And, but that's not how his life started out. In fact, at the age of seven, he started working in the coal mines started drinking by the time he was 13. And as he became a man, he, he became a very large man. A very, he was very tall, very big, very strong. And so before he got saved, he started taking up street fighting. And so that's how he would make his, his living. He was a street fighter. And so uh, he ends up giving his life to, to Christ. And one day he's out preaching, street preaching, not street fighting. And this guy comes up to him and he says, uh, hey, hey, Richard. And, and the guy says, yeah, what's up? And the guy says, hey, you know, the Bible says in, in Matthew 5, 39, that if a person strikes you on the right cheek, then you need to turn the other. He says, so how about it? And so this guy, you know, is really big. You know, he knew he was a, a former street fighter. And so the guy says, okay, bring it on. And so the guy goes up to him and then just lays into him on his, on his right cheek, lays into him. So then the, the big guy, Richard, kind of staggers back and then he walks back forward and then he, he offers the other. The guy in shock was that had hit him was so scared, he just runs off in fear. He's just, he's terrified. And so he just runs away. Well, about a few years later, this guy comes up to him. Again, the Richard's out street preaching. Guy comes up to him and says, hey, do you, uh, do you remember me? And the guy says, you know, Richard says, no, I don't remember you. He, he says, well, I was the guy that hit you several years ago. And he said, about a year ago, I gave my life to Jesus and God's been doing great things ever since. Which is kind of a cool story about this passage, but what, what's interesting is, this is actually not talking about like self-defense and physical fighting. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that if the, the police obeyed this? 
That would not be good. <laughs> that would be not good for anybody. This is not talking about like if somebody breaks into your home and you're just sit, you're supposed to just take it. Okay, that's not what Jesus is addressing here. It's about insults. Because again, when you would have, it says the right cheek. Okay, so this is my, my right cheek. Well, most people are right-handed. Okay, so you would have hit people like this. You would have hit them on the left cheek. So Jesus is actually talking about a backhand. Okay, it's kind of like in the movies, you know, in the medieval movie settings where they take off the white glove and then they slap them or whatever. It's kind of an insult. That's, that's what this is talking about right here. It's actually talking about insults that Jesus is referring to. It's when people insult our intelligence, insult our, our decision-making, they insult our career, insult us for following Jesus. It's a, it's a backhand. And what Jesus is calling us to do as followers of Christ is to be, be people that say, you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna retaliate. Whenever, whenever I'm insulted, I'm not going to insult back. But how many know that that's not very, that's not easy, right? That's actually kind of difficult sometimes. So, the, so how, do we actually, how do we actually do that? Yeah, I came across this uh, funny little illustration it's stuck in my mind that, um, you know, if you were to get, somebody were to splatter mud on you, you could, you could try to wipe it off as it, you know, after it splattered on you, but you just smear it all over yourself. You'd make it worse. Or you can let it dry. You can let the sun dry it, and then it just flakes off, right? And so it's the same kind of idea with, with insults, that we, we don't let those things stick to us or we don't let those things smear into us. We don't get involved in it. We don't fight back and now it makes it worse in the exchange. Here's another way to think about it. You know, a physical punch is to our body as an insult is to our unseen person, like our mind, our soul, like our ego. So you can think about like physically, physically when someone you know, were to hit us, it's the same with an insult, but it's to our, our person, our unseen person on the inside. In other words, it's to our identity. It's when, that's what makes an insult feel so hurtful, is it's like it's attacking who I am as a person. And that's what can make it difficult. And this is why this is important. So how do we, how do we deal with insults? Well, you think about our identity, and that when we find it in Christ, when we lean on our identity in Christ, it makes insults so much easier to handle. Let me say it like this. We could either enlarge the person on the inside of us, or we, or we could try to make the insults smaller, right? So I can either make this person on the inside larger, or I could try to make the, the insults on the, the outside smaller. I can, I can either build the person up on the inside and make myself larger, or I can make the insults smaller. And what I found is it's much easier to make the person on the inside larger because that's the only thing I can really control. You'll be like a, a kid coming up to me and, and saying, you know, I, I'm stupid. You know, if a kid were to come up to me and say, hey, you're stupid, hopefully that wouldn't be very insulting to me because what I mean, what I would say back is, uh, well, you're stupider. So I'd say, no, I wouldn't say that. You know, it really wouldn't, it wouldn't have much of an effect, effect on me because I know I'm not stupid because it doesn't affect my identity. I'm, I, the, the person's much smaller than me. Their insult is smaller than my identity. And how big we see an insult compared to ourselves impacts our ability to let that insult impact us. Okay, so how we see that insult. If that insult feels really, really big compared to how I feel about myself, man, that's gonna be devastating to me. Also, if I know who I am, 
And then that insult is very, you know, I'm like, okay, that's, that's just small. Then that's going to be like a very small punch. It's not going to be a big deal. And you know what I can do? I can turn the other cheek. It, makes, it gives me ability. But if I feel like it really hurts, you know what I'm going to want to do? I'm going to want to hit you back. So how, does she, how, how, do we, how do we deal with this? This is a challenge for, for myself as well. So as I say this, I think we're going to pull it up on the screen here. How we respond to insults reveals our level of internal security. And our internal security is exponentially stronger in an active, growing relationship with Christ. Again, let me say that. How, let me say it again. How we respond to insults reveals our internal security. And our internal security is exponentially stronger in an active, growing relationship with Christ. You know, we could, we could read self-help books and how to have better confidence and how to be more competent and all that stuff. But here's what I found for myself and for others. Those that really lean into their relationship with God and have a strong relationship with God. You know what I find? That they're actually a very large person on the inside. <laughs> they're very secure people because they're finding their identity in Christ and not in something else. So then when they're insulted and backhanded, they're all, all of a sudden, they're able to let it roll off their back. It's no, no big deal. But whenever we fight back with insults, it actually reveals our own personal security. And the best way that you can grow in your confidence is to find your identity in Christ. It's actually grow in your relationship with Jesus. So this is what Jesus tells us to do. Simply turn the other cheek. You're gonna find the strength to be able to do that as you find your identity in him. Okay, here's the second thing that, that he does. Jesus teaches his followers to give when humiliated, to give when humiliated. So verse 40, it says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So in that day, uh, you could sue someone for uh, their shirt, but you couldn't take their, their, their coat according to the law because the coat would be all that they had to keep warm, right? And so the, here's this picture of you're getting sued and you got your shirt taken from you, and now Jesus says, give them your coat as well. So that means in that day, since they didn't have Levi's, you'd be naked, okay? It's, it's not good. You Not only did you get sued, and you're, you know, you're humiliated in that way, now you're actually giving, giving this, to, you're giving the thing that you have, and now you're, you're like, you're just naked in front of them. Now, obviously, this is not literal, okay? So much of what Jesus is talking about is, has a deeper meaning to it, but it's the same kind of idea. Let me ask you, have you ever felt humiliated? Sure, we all have, right? And what's our tendency whenever we're, we feel humiliated? It's to fight back. It's to use our words to attack and retaliate. It's to get back at the other person. But what Jesus is calling us to do is to actually give. Now, I wanna give you a, an amazing picture of that Jesus actually living this out. And it's found in Luke chapter 23. He actually lives this out in a huge way, and it's on the cross. Okay, this is what it says in Luke 23, verse, starting verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, him being Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, he's being crucified, and now he's got the love, he's got the, the, the care to be actually to pray for those that are doing this to him. It's amazing. And then he says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. 
And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. So now they're, in, they're insulting him. They've already done lots of insults, but they continue to hurl insults. And yet Jesus, in the middle of that, you know what he gives? He gives his love. He's being humiliated. He, he's being crucified. You know, Roman crucifixion was traditionally done naked. So I know that we, we've got pictures of Jesus and we do it out of modesty, but there, there is still some debate to whether maybe because of Jewish rules, they, they would have had, he would have worn a loincloth. But typically, crucifixion was done naked. So here you have Jesus completely humiliated in front of his own creation, and yet he, he's got the ability to turn and say, you know what, I'm not gonna retaliate. I'm humiliated. I'm gonna give you my coat as well. I'm gonna say a prayer for you. What a powerful example. I mean, to think that Jesus does this for us, he leads the way and shows us. And so here's the question, how is he able to do that? He was able to do that, I believe, because he trusted the highest court. So, you know, he was, he was brought on trial, he was, brought, he was convicted, now he's being crucified, and what he had to do was simply trust the Father. And that's what God calls us to do. Whenever we're sued, whenever we're humiliated, whenever somebody shames us, what we have to do is we've gotta trust the highest court. You know, it reminds me of, of Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You know, I, I know that this situation really is not fun, but I'm gonna trust God. Maybe that would be a phrase for, for some of you as you're dealing with some challenges, even now in your life. And you say, you know what, this really stinks but I'm gonna trust the highest court. You know what, I'm being sued right now, so to speak. I'm on trial, I'm being falsely accused. This is unjust. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna trust the highest court. I'm gonna put my faith in God because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus was able to do and that's what we should do. There was a guy by the name of Henry Suso and he lived in the fourth century in Germany. He was a bachelor and he was a godly, devoted Christian man. One day, Suso heard someone knocking at his door, and when he opened it, he saw a female stranger with a baby in her arms. According to the story, the woman yelled, here is the fruit of your sin. She then transferred the baby to Suso's arms and left. Suso was shocked and mortified, but he took the baby in his home and knelt down to pray, Lord, you know I'm innocent. What must I do now? And the Lord replied, do what I did. Suffer for the sins of others. Suso's reputation was horribly tarnished, yet he never defended himself. Instead, he raised the child as his own. He knew that he was, he knew what was true and false and left the misunderstandings and the harsh critics and the judgments and the false accusations with the Lord. Years later, the woman who had left the infant with Suso returned to his home and told, told all the neighbors that she had lied, that the, the child was not Suso's. So you look at that story. I mean, in that day, you know, it'd be different today. It's like, okay, you can take that baby to a place that could, but in that day, it's like, man, he probably had no other, no other choice. And yet he trusted the Lord and gave his reputation to the Lord and the Lord vindicated him through that process. Maybe right now you're going through something and you just need to, to say, I just need to trust the higher court. My, my reputation, my, you know, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in a relationship, Maybe it's, it's uh, something with extended family. Whatever it might be, you're in a situation right now where you just need to let that phrase be a part of your life. You say, God, I'm gonna trust the higher court. I can't do anything about it, but I trust in 
you. Okay, there's this third one here. Jesus teaches his followers to serve when taken advantage of. This is what it says in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go to mile, go one mile, go with them two miles. Back in that day, there was a Roman law that said a Roman soldier could tell a Jew to carry their stuff for a Roman mile, which was a thousand steps, but no more. And what Jesus is saying, hey, if someone tells you to go you know, a Roman mile, then go with them two miles. So obviously the Jews didn't like this. This is, this is being taken advantage of. And Jesus is saying, go the extra mile whenever that's, that's happening. Trust me that I know what I'm doing. And certainly with all of these three scenarios, there's plenty of situations where we've been insulted, humiliated, and taken advantage of. And then Jesus is teaching what followers of him should do. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, how should you respond in these situations? So he gives us two things that we should do. Verse 42, he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So there's two things, give and do not turn away or turn toward. Okay, so give and turn toward the person that is wronging you. So that means for us as followers of Christ that we should give when humiliated. As followers of Christ, we should turn with love towards those who insult us. As followers of Jesus, we should serve those who would want to take advantage of us. You would be, it maybe be for you like these truths that I wrote down that help me to quantify and understand what Jesus is talking about. It would be these. I trust that God is my father and that makes me his son or daughter. That informs my identity. I trust the one who judges at the highest court and that informs my future. And I trust that God has a higher mission than my comfort, so I serve. That informs my purpose. God wants us to respond in a way that represent him as his followers, that identify with what God would do if, if he were in our shoes, how he treats us. Okay, so then he goes on to say how we should treat our enemies. So just moves right into the next section, but relates to the one before. It says this, you've heard it said, love your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, so, okay, so a quick note on, on this love your neighbor but hate your enemies. So the love your neighbor was in the Bible. Okay, it's, in, it's found in Leviticus and other places. So that's in the Bible, but hate your enemy is not found in the Bible. The only time that you get close to that is whenever David in the Psalms is talking about his enemies and he's just simply saying a, a vulnerable prayer about what he's going through, not necessarily a command that we are to obey for all time. Okay, so that's completely different. But the Jews would have understood what enemies were in that day because their neighbor would have been their fellow Jew, but an enemy would have been a Samaritan, so it had been a half-breed Jew, those that intermarried with the, the Gentiles, or a Gentile, a non-Jew. They would have considered them enemies. But Jesus is saying, no, you should love your enemies. And for us today, we probably have a, a little bit harder time relating to this because we don't think so much like that. So, but, so you might still have, though, a, a list of people that would be on your, your enemy list or that you would consider close to that list. Hopefully it's a, a short list. But he says to simply love 
our enemies. And an interesting observation with this, if, you, if we were to do a spectrum here, okay, so on this side would be all the people that you really don't like, okay? They're in your I don't like you category, okay? So they may be as close as you can get to an enemy that you consider them, okay? And Jesus says to love those individuals, that you're to love them. Okay, so that, that means the people that you, okay, I sort of like you. Okay, you're an acquaintance. You're kind of annoying, but you're cool. Okay, no, you're my friend. Okay, no, you're my, my, my family. I, so how much more should we love those way over here on this side of the spectrum? If Jesus calls us to love our enemies, how much more should we love everybody else? But he doesn't just say that. He also says to pray for them. It's interesting, those were the, the two things he says, to, to love them and to pray for them. I kind of feel like the whole love thing is a little bit easier because I could just say, well, yeah, I love them. That's a little bit nebulous, right? It's a little bit like, okay, I can just say that. But pray for them, that's actually a task that I have to do. Like I either pray for them or I don't pray for them. But what's interesting about that is like, if it just said to pray for them, I might, you know, say like, Lord, I really don't like them. I pray you do some like judgment. I pray you bring down fire on them. I pray you do. Then you could say those kinds of prayers. But what it does is it says to pray for them and love them. So now you're caught. God's got you, checkmate, okay? Because you're supposed to pray for them, but you can't say meanie pants prayers about them, okay? You gotta say loving prayers. You gotta be nice to them. And you know, here's what I found. When you start to pray for people that you don't like, that have wronged you, that have hurt you, it begins to soften your heart toward them. You know, this is what's really interesting. It actually loosens the grip that they have in your heart. Because hating someone else only puts yourself in prison. It only captivates you. It only makes you obsess over them. Like you just wanna hurt them. And Jesus wants to set you free. And how you're gonna be set free is by loving your enemy and praying for them. And as you pray loving prayers for them, God begins to change your heart. And also, it begins to hopefully change the other person because God's gonna actually answer your prayers and they're gonna begin to see how you act toward them. That now you're a representation of God. I think this is so powerful, even beyond all of this, that, that he, he mentions that as we do these things, we'll show ourselves to be the children of the Father. And here's what's, here's what's crazy, is at one point we were enemies of God. This is what it says in Romans chapter five, verse nine. It says, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For, for if, while we were God's enemies. So here's Paul like throwing down some theology and I just wanna pull this point out that, it, that God was actually our enemy at one point. That before Jesus, before Jesus, like we were not in a good spot. <laughs> this was not good. And, and because of his great love, he sent Jesus so that we'd no longer be enemies, but now we've become sons and daughters of the Father. So God overlooks insults. He gives even, you know, people that, that disrespect him, he loves them and cares for them, he serves those that, that don't want anything to do with him. He shows kindness to those that do evil. And God does that because of that's who he is. And thankfully, he does that because if he didn't, man, you'd be in a bad spot and I'd be in a bad spot. But because of his great love, he does it. You know, I think it's interesting as you, as you do look at the cross, I know I, we looked back at that verse, but just in closing here, as we look back at the cross, you think about what Jesus did for us and how, how amazing it really was because here he is at the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about 
you know, not taking vengeance. And if anyone had a right to take vengeance, it was Jesus. So he was God for all of eternity, and then he comes to earth in, in human form. Like, if it was me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> like, okay, if I was God, can we just have a moment here? If I was God, I would have an eternal hot tub, okay, just being honest with you, okay? I would eat Chipotle every day, and I wouldn't get fat. Okay, that's, those would be, that's probably what I would do, like, if I, was, if I was God, okay? I know you probably think less of me now, but be thankful. Newsflash, I'm not God. Okay, but God... God is God, and he is, he's amazing. I certainly wouldn't choose to go to earth to a place that isn't great and wonderful compared to heaven to die. I wouldn't do that, and to die a terrible death, and to be unjustly, and here's the thing. Like, he's not only God, and he did that, but he was falsely accused. Like, he didn't do it. Like, he was innocent, and then he died a terrible death, crucifixion. Like, he's suffocated to death. Like, that's, that's terrible, and then he, most likely, like we talked about earlier, was humiliated. He died naked. And then on top of that, he did it for people who didn't even love him, were enemies. Man, this is like mind-blowing that he would do all of that for us. And all that Jesus is calling us to do is saying, hey, that's what your heavenly father does, so now I want you to do the same. Because he did that for us, now he wants us to do the same, and that's why he closes with this, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Every, in other words, everything that Jesus just went through, he's saying, this is how my Father acts. This is how you're, because he acts like that, this is how I want you to act. And that word perfect doesn't necessarily, I mean, it can mean perfect, but it also means complete or mature. So it's not about perfection, because if it was about perfection, he wouldn't be teaching these people in the first place because they've already messed up, okay? But it's about the direction of your life that you represent God. And as we do this, as we represent God, honor him, now we're reflecting who he is. We're reflecting what he has already done for us. When we love and care for those that wrong us, that, that shame us, that slander us, that when we're accused of things that we didn't do, when they take advantage of us, do you know as you respond by blessing them, we're actually acting like our Heavenly Father and what He's already done for us. Let's take a moment, let's pray. Let's all stand to our feet. I wanna take a moment to pray here. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that you would help us today to take these truths that you've given us and Lord, to apply them to our, our lives. God, that you would help us to not take vengeance on others, but actually to do the opposite, that God, we would give, that we would bless. Lord, when we're taken advantage of, Lord, we would remember that you were taken advantage of, that you were wrong, that you were unjustly treated, and you responded with love. And so God, help us to do that. Lord, those that, that wrong us and, and those that, that do evil against us, Lord, may we give, may we turn toward them with love and kindness. And so, Lord, give us the strength. Give us the identity in you. Help us to be more like you and find our security in, in who you've created us to be, a son and daughter of the King, of, of the Heavenly Father. Who, no one is greater than you. God, help us to have that kind of mind, mindset and mentality. So, Father, I pray that you would guide us and direct us. Help us to live for you and honor you. We thank you, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're gonna have the prayer team come forward at this time. If you... If you have a need in this place, if you've got something physically that you're going through and you need 
you need God to touch you in your body, if you just need a miracle, maybe for you, you're dealing with something that we talked about today, like you're, you're having a hard time getting past something in your life, I mean, we'd love to pray with you, believe that God's gonna work in your heart and life. But for the rest of us, we're gonna worship. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up here. But for all the rest of us, would you just lift your hands right now? And we're gonna sing this song about Lord sending revival. And I want you to think about the Lord sending revival in your heart, that God would change us to the point that where we represent the Father, that we would be perfect just as he is perfect. So come on all over this place, let's lift our hands, let's begin to worship. Come on, let's worship our King and our Savior.